Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. At long last, my great friend Samantha Perez has returned finally to discuss with me the unpardonable sin, a light topic, a little light conversation. Welcome, Sam. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, I figure, you know, the world's a little tough right now, so let's talk something happy, right? <laughs> <laughs> It's a it's a topic that I think um, doesn't actually come up in conversation all that much, given how important it seems to be. Uh, so so important, in fact, that it pops up in three all three of the Synoptic Gospels, and um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, what the context of these uh, these versions uh, in each of the Gospels is. But before we do that. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about what you've been up to since the last time we talked? Hey, yeah, it has been, it's been a minute since I've been on. Um, I'm still involved with most of the stuff that I've talked about when I've been on before. I just, I do my blogging. I pop up on podcasts randomly um, doing (laughs) a bunch of fun writing and heavy thinking about stuff. Um, I am a lot more involves with like formal church stuff now, which is a direction I was not sure I would go down a couple years ago. And so it's been a cool journey. I have found a local Methodist church that has become a very cool church home for me. And I've dived in, in the way that I tend to just dive real hard (laughs) into things. I'm on the, I'm on the leadership team. Now I've preached there several times, um, this summer, I am shadowing our lay representative to annual conference because they've asked if I want to be our rep to national to, to annual conference next year, which is very cool and is basically like, I don't know, becoming like a Methodist Congress person where I get to go and like vote on things <laughs> and like make declarations. <laughs> um, so I have I have uh, dived into that with both feet and found a very good found a very good home right now in Methodism, which was, it was, if you'd asked me, you know, two or three years ago, I would be surprised that this is the direction I'm going. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, um, just kind of local political stuff and activism has been something I'm getting more involved in. Uh, we're about to submit our articles in corporations, but I am on the board of directors for like a local, like LGBT activism, like organization that's really exciting and starting to that's that's a big exciting new direction and a kind of thing i have not done before so we are hitting the ground trying to make stuff happen and i've just been getting involved with my local my local political parties and committees and things and i chair a couple committees for uh for local politics now and it's been it's been it's a it's an interesting time i am up to i'm very busy (laughs) basically with a bunch of formal institutional stuff that I would have been suspicious a few years ago if you told me this was what I was doing instead of maybe weirder, more esoteric, anarchic things. But here I am. (laughs) That is very cool. um, You know, when we've talked, the the more I hear you talk about the church you're involved in and what you're doing there, it just sounds like 
such incredible work and it sounds like you have just a great community there so i'm so happy for you it's been fascinating right because it's this it's a relatively small congregation there's we get 40 to 50 people attending every sunday but it's a it's an old like it's an old congregation meaning like the, the first building was built in like the 1800s their first building was torn down for bricks for the civil war <laughs> like it's you know this this has been a continuous <laughs> congregation for a very long time and it's just been very cool to get involved there they have they they've accepted me and made a good home for me i was not sure after all of the spiritual deconstruction journeys and the gender transition if like a church home was a thing i was going to be able to have meaningfully again and it's just been it's been really cool they have We've all met the challenge of trying to be in community with each other during the weird and kind of scary political times. And this sort of small community taking care of each other in the neighborhood is just really, really cool to see. And it's a changing group of people that seems to be in the congregation that it's becoming a safe space for. And that's just it's really special. I've been it's been really mm -hmm. meaningful to be part of this. I really admire that. I've, I've talked a little bit on the podcast um, about my sort of struggles finding a home church and and you've you've given me hope and kind of inspired me and, keep, you know, keeping at it and trying yeah. to find uh, a group where and it, that's what a church is. You know, remember, it's not the building. It's not the institution. It's the people that are there and finding that group of people that are, um, you know, that you can be one with in, in Christ and or at least can worship with. In, <laughs> right. Uh, if not being one with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. it's been a it's been a fun kind of just social challenge for all of us, because like they, it, you know, this is one of those churches. They have, you know, they have the rainbow flag out front. They have been. Um, you know, LGBT affirming for a while, but even as, you know, as kind as everybody is and as sincere as they are, I could tell when I first started like attending, right. There's some reactions of like, Oh shit, we're way down the alphabet now, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there was some, there's some growing pains and some learning as I become everybody's like first trans friend <laughs> and, uh, getting, you know, just learning how that works, learning how to talk to each other, learning how to be in fellowship with each other. But I'm, Really glad that I, I don't know, that I made the effort to, I don't know, to go through that, to teach and to learn and to just like get back into this kind of community because it's become a very good, I can tell like the energy is so different from when I first started there. There's like, there's multiple, like the, the queer community of the church is growing and it seems to have like this work is paying off for all of us and just like the type of people that this can be a home for. And it's just really cool to witness <laughs> Yeah, I saw a, um, it's interesting. It's like, uh, that's a major part of, of the church in the U S that is, that is growing is, yeah. uh, queer folks, trans folks. And I actually saw someone saying the other day, and obviously I should know better than to be on Twitter period, but I saw a tweet <laughs> that indicated that the, uh, the, uh, you know, the growing at a part of the church that was LGBTQ plus, uh, was some sort of they were like interlopers or infiltrators mm -hmm. and there was some nefarious nefarious scheme behind it and i just thought what th that feels like blasphemy against the holy spirit doesn't Indeed. it to, to, <laughs> <laughs> to take uh to take this uh growing group of people who love jesus and want to pray and want to worship and want to join together and uh, glorify god and and to say that there is some nefarious plan behind it is just the worst kind of offensive to me. Yeah, really it is bad. a 
it is a spicy time of discourse around this, you know, because this is a Methodist church. We are in the middle of schisming about this. And so I came in a fun time to be part of these conversations and probably be you know, going to the conferences in the next couple of years where like items on the agenda will be the details of schisming about the fact that I'm there. It's an interesting place to Ooh. be. <laughs> spicy is the word, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Well, um, uh, as we said, there were three instances of the um, the unpardonable sin or blasphemy against the Holy Spirit uh, in in the Bible in the New Testament. We see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so um, we were talking. We thought it would be good for us to read all three of them. Um, and I thought we could start with Matthew. You said you had that pulled up um, yes. right now, and. And then we'll move on to Mark and to Luke, and then we'll start talking a little bit about how those passages uh, play, you know, play into each other or differ from each other, and uh, and also how uh, we're seeing reflections of these uh, this conversation in our in our world today. So why don't you go ahead with that's Matthew twelve, I believe. Yep, um, I'm, I'm not sure what which verses you wanted to read. I am reading from the NRSV, and I'm doing Matthew twelve twenty two through thirty two. Excellent. So, we have, then they brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and he cured him, so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and were saying, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, that this man casts out the demons. He knew what they were thinking and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? Then indeed the house can be plundered. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Strong words indeed. from our guy, JC. Strong <laughs> words. Um I thought for Mark that I would read uh, in the ESV, as usual, from 22 to 30. Um, that kind of covers the same, uh, the same story. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he is possessed by Beelzebul, and uh, by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. 
And then in Luke, back to the RSV, I'm reading the first 10 chapter, uh, the first, ten, the, the first 10 chapters, no, the first 10 verses of Luke <laughs> chapter 12. Um, it says, meanwhile, when the crowd had gathered by the thousands, so they were trampling on one another, he began to speak first to his disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, that is their hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered and nothing secret that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you whom to fear. Fear the one whom, after killing, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear that one. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight, but even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you... Everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So Luke, a completely different context in which he introduces that, uh, that phrase. Just the very phrase is the same, but the context and, yeah. and, and the meaning really of what he seems to be saying feels different. Right. And so I think it's clear. I think it's clear that at some point Jesus said this and it freaked everybody out because it is a big, <laughs> very big statement. And I don't and I think nobody really knew what it meant because it's written down in three different ways. And all of the different contexts kind of make it mean something, something else. <laughs> yeah. The basic tenet of Christianity is that. God is forgiving. So for us to hear that there is a sin that one can commit that is unforgivable or unpardonable is a really scary thing. Yeah. And uh, there is one thing I want to say before we dive into this, and this is a, I don't know, this is a personal hangup of mine and something I need to address. And I haven't figured out how to work this into my scripture commentary in a way that I feel completely good about. But I've just been doing a lot of reading and a lot of learning about the way that a lot of uh, lots of these different Jesus versus Pharisees fights and context has been used historically in very anti-Semitic violence enhancing violence inducing ways and trying to think of it in context of that. Oh, sorry, there's a thunderstorm going outside that just started. So you may you may be hearing that. <laughs> but, actually, I love the ambiance. Right. Actually. Yeah. But <laughs> essentially, the picture I've been getting in my study and listening to other commentators and especially Jewish commentators of this keeping in mind for me, at least this idea that the way that Jesus and the Pharisees are recorded talking to each other is one partly par for the course. This is how religious debates happened. <laughs> and um, and that also the potential that like this rivalry and the specifically like nefarious sort of intentions that are in the editorial parts of the text um, could also potentially be exaggerated to drive home the point that Christianity is the good one. Rome should like this one and should like the Jews less. And I think that has shown in history how that's been used. And it's something I don't know what to do with, but I'm keeping it in that context. We can, I, I don't know if it's worth talking about this a lot, but I just have to declare it because it, I'm, I'm just kind of perpetually freaked out about it every time I read the Gospels. And I just want to put that caveat well, on there. So <laughs> it's, it's something it's impossible to, uh, given what the dialogue around the, um, 
the origins of Christianity being Judaism and, and the way that evangelicals um, in some ways embrace the nation of Israel, but at the same time have some seemingly very anti-Semitic views um, that, you know, Christianity uh, since the beginning, you know, has has sort of struggled with that, right? Yeah. Um, so it's something that should be addressed, that yeah. anytime we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees, this is not Jesus being like, you people are worthless, um, and you're absolutely wrong about everything. Um, it seems more like, and I've heard this characterized in this way, that Jesus's conversations with the Pharisees were something that rabbis would do amongst themselves, right. uh, that they would have these sorts of debates, and they were sort of good-spirited, good-natured debates. And yes, obviously, the uh, the end result of Jesus's sparring with the Pharisees was, was grave for him. Um, but I don't think that Jesus's intention was ever for, um, you know, his followers to say uh, that the Jews are uh, wrong and damned and, and terrible forever. Right. I, I can't think, imagine that right. would have been what he meant. And this is a little, this is, this, this is upsetting to some of the, to maybe some of the inerrantist ideas of it, but I also think some of the, basically there's a lot of ahistorical things about the relationship and nature of the Pharisees and the society in the Bible, and I think there is editorial things happening in some of it to make that rivalry worse. But I don't want to spend the whole time oh, on this. Sure. I just need to make no, that no. caveat before we dive in, because we could do a whole episode about that and <laughs> be something else, but I just, I don't know. I have to, I feel the need to declare it whenever I discuss it because I'm trying to figure out how to be responsible with it. But <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Well, so the first thing I noticed about Luke's passage in this was the um, like commerce value economic language that mm -hmm. seems to be like in a lot of Luke, and that's of course tied into this passage. But um, that's not really the main focus, right? We're talking about what it means to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and why it would be that blaspheming against Jesus, against the Son, is somehow forgivable. Well, um, but this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit isn't, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and I've heard it. I've heard it characterized that this was a um, specifically being mentioned to the Pharisees uh, because it has to do with the the fact that the Pharisees themselves and and believers of you know followers of the law would not be damned because they necessarily be damned because they didn't believe. Jesus, but that if they blasphemed against the spirit of God, that that would be their real issue. Like, I can understand if you don't believe me now, but listen, like, uh, you know, you can't, the, the, there's a bigger picture here right now. I'm doing what I'm doing, but like, don't speak, don't speak against God himself. Yeah. So there's a couple, like, I feel like there's a couple of ways that this gets handled a lot. Cause this is something that like you said, it doesn't actually get talked about a lot because I think it's just freaky um, to yeah. talk about it. And if you any if you if you put a definition on it, then you put yourself at risk of doing it. Um, so, but like, there's two kind of the basic read of it. And when you're thinking of it in terms of when you're thinking of salvation, when you're thinking of forgiveness and sin, in terms of the sort of more typical American Christian like idea of like a binary 
are you forgiven or unforgiven? Are you are you getting the good ending or the bad ending? <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like before God, are you in the Lamb's Book of Life or are you in the? Are you gonna? Are you are you a sheep or a goat? Like that's kind of the yeah the topic we think of a lot of it with this idea that this kind of like like in the the penal substitutionary atonement view of salvation is that if you die and you have any naughty points on your record that you go to hell and so you have to have just good points but no one can make no one can make it through life with no naughty points on the record and so jesus forgives all the naughty points and we use his score because he's the only one who didn't have any naughty points and so we get to use his score instead of ours (laughs) and like the basic read of that if this is kind of the picture you're coming with it to take it at face value it sounds like that's just one of the naughty points that can't get erased and so if you've done this one it's on your permanent record sorry like you know it's going to be there you're going to hell when you die uh sorry about that Mm -hmm. but that's just that one that one doesn't that one doesn't get erased that one stays and like the this one that's not said a lot like almost no one reads it like that because that's a terrifying (laughs) one it's a terrifying way to think of it but i have to bring it up because i think that's the read especially those of us who grew up in sunday school and stuff when we're just doing our you know in when i'm 10 years old and doing my bible reading time because i'm a good church kid and i want the sunday school sticker right you read this passage and that's kind of what it sounds like (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and and like i've definitely had like just random Sunday school teachers that don't get monitored uh, with what they're teaching say something like that. And it's a good one to psych yourself out with because on the plain text reading, that seems to be what it says. But like no one, like very few people teach it that way because that's weirdly high stakes. It's weirdly like rule dependent. And it kind of like, I don't know, it makes Jesus's whole sacrifice thing seem pretty not effective. It's just like, oh, by the way, this one, that one, nothing, nothing, nothing he can do about that one from the forgiveness perspective. Yeah. So like, it's a, yeah, like, this is the one thing. Yeah. How, yeah. How, how is it that this is the one thing that can't get past it? Yeah. And so in the sort of, I guess, more academic, or the way that it has gone and what I feel like kind of you were, you were touching on the way that's most commonly, I think, dealt with keeping that sort of atonement theology is that if you have, you know, the Romans Road binary salvation model, the only way a sin could really be unforgivable is if you reject Jesus and aren't saved, right? Like, it, like everything else seems to point to the fact that if, if you're saved, you're saved and uh, your sins will not be held against you. So for something to be unforgivable, it has to stop you from doing that. And so that seems to be the direction that, like, a lot of the commentaries go and is the talk track I hear most often that this is a sin that will keep you from answering the call of the Holy Spirit and thus you cannot truly repent and welcome Christ into your heart in that uh, the desiring God article that you uh, that you posted in our notes said uh, when you commit this sin the heart has become so recalcitrant and at such odds with God's spirit that it has become incapable of true repentance that um, yeah the ESV and uh, in the ESV study note, it says this sin is committed today only by unbelievers who deliberately and unchangeably reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit in calling them to salvation. Christians often worry they've committed this sin, but such a concern is itself evidence of an openness to the work of the Spirit. So basically, like that talk track is you watch the work of God, you watch a miracle, you watch the work of the Holy Spirit, and if 
you attribute that to the devil, because that's the context of Mark and Matthews, is Jesus was healing people, and people were saying, that sucks, actually. That's, that that's the, that the magic trick that's happening is happening from demonic powers, and the idea is that once you're in that state, once you, like, basically, now when the Holy Spirit puts the call on your heart to pray the sinner's prayer, and to come to Christ that you are now capable of ignoring that and you won't repent. The other article you shared said uh, to commit this sin, one must consciously, persistently, deliberately, and maliciously reject the testimony of the spirit to the deity and saving power of the Lord Jesus. That it is about your inability, like it's your inability to believe it's your inability to believe the gospel because your heart is too hard for the work of the spirit to do. <laughs> yeah, that second article that you're referring to is from the Billy Graham Evangelistic yeah. Ministries page. Um, and I, I pulled those two because I thought they would be perspectives on this passage that neither of us would probably bring to the table. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it does seem odd, right? Yeah. And those are closer to the ones that I grew up with that like that the sin here is rejecting the voice of the spirit, basically the work of the spirit. And so now you can't repent. And that's, that's, that's better, right? That's, that's a, I think that's, that's a smarter reading than just like, oh, there's one that just can't get erased. This one goes on your permanent record. But like (laughs) the issue with this one, I feel is that it's really just saying that the unpardonable sin is not being saved. Like it catch 22s it out of existence. Right. Like a lot of the commentaries say, if you're worried about this, don't worry about it, because that means you haven't done it. And it's it solves the it solves the problem of how it seems to kind of break the substitutionary atonement idea. But it makes it a weirdly not important passage. (laughs) Um, It it makes it a weird one that has popped up three times that everybody that all three synoptic authors definitely said we need to keep this one. If it is a warning that no one needs to heed, because if you want to heed it, you've already done it. And so it's better, but it's, I don't, I still don't think it works. Like I don't, it, mm-hmm. I, it's not, it's, it's grammatically coherent, but it's not, it, it's not intellectually satisfying. It's not spiritually satisfying. And it does not, I don't think I, I don't think it would have been recorded like this and spoken with such strong language if that was the point. Right. Because ultimately it's. If you don't want to get saved, you won't be saved. And I feel like, duh, like it's a weird it makes it a it makes it a tautology of a sin. <laughs> yeah. Like, what's the point of saying it? And and it's it's such an odd thing, too, because it's like, OK, so. Uh, it's an unpardonable sin, but if you are worried about it already, even if you have committed it in quotation marks, you actually didn't because you're you're fine and you believe. Um, and and if you have committed it, then it requires a hardness of heart that require that that means that you've you will never repent of this sin. You will never change it. Um, and it, that means that you've repeated that sin multiple times. But if you only commit it once, then you can be forgiven of it. Then in how, in what way is that unpardonable? Right. It doesn't make, it doesn't really make sense if you pull it apart that way to me. It just feels, uh, it feels to me like, yeah, it feels almost frivolous to say it, which it can't be frivolous if it's in like three of the gospel accounts. Right, right. Every, every one of them agreed, like, we need to keep that part. <laughs> 
And it like and if the yeah, if the conclusion is like, oh, if that freaks you out, don't worry about it. It seems like a weird one to keep. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I have my thoughts and we've talked we, we, we've talked about mine. I have a whole spiel about it that I think is the way that I've wrapped my head around it that I think makes sense. I'm curious, though, how like what's your what's your experience been with this topic? Because I grew up with a little bit of the a little bit of the first one, because like I said, just kind of random Sunday school teachers who didn't help the like, yeah, no, watch out for this one sort of vibe. And then so and then led into that more kind of nuanced, like repentance hindering read of it. But has that been your experience? Like what what's what's been your kind of history of thinking about this? You know, it hasn't it never really came up in my religious education when I was younger, although the idea of mortal sin was one that was talked about in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of sin that would be, you know, a damnable sin, not an under, you know, a venial sin versus, uh, versus a mortal sin, but, um, unforgivable sin, unpardonable sin never really came up in Sunday school for, for <laughs> me. Um, now since I've, you know, since I've converted, uh, you know, since I've been reading the Bible, I don't know that I've been able to make sense of it really in any coherent way other than trying to find ways that it applies to Mm -hmm. you know applies to my life and my conversations with other folks who either are believers or aren't believers um i think that like using the bible to interpret the bible uh i which i always try to do and it's like that's like a very evangelical pastory thing to say i know (laughs) but like um i i think that like i i made a couple notes here um, from other passages talking about God's sort of unending love and forgiveness for, mm-hmm. for those, for those who believe. Um, and the, the, the parad- the paradox that comes up in my head every time I think about this is someone who's blaspheming, actively blaspheming against the Holy Spirit means speaking out against the Holy Spirit, which would imply speaking of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. which implies a kind of belief in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that um, is like, this is a brain twister here. I'm not trying to, <laughs> to talk in circles necessarily, but it's like when people say that there's that, that they don't believe in God, but they are a Satanist or something like that. Right. Like I know that there's, there are schools of thought that say, oh, well, it's not actually about like Satan, the per, the care, the person of Satan or whatever, but it's about like this belief system or whatever. But um, worshiping a negative version of God is the same as understanding that God exists and and, and mm. that knowing that having faith in God. So um, it, to me, it feels like maybe the point we shouldn't take away from this is that there is either there is this one sin that is the really, really, really bad one that worse than murder for some reason. Um, the really, really bad one <laughs> that you can't, that you must not do, that you cannot do. Um, or, and we sh- also, I don't think should take away that like, this is, uh, this is something that you shouldn't worry about at all because it's, um, it's not something that is really, first of all, a, either not something that's addressed to believers. It was addressed to a different culture of people, uh, people that you aren't a part of. If you're, you know, this is being spoken to, to, uh, to Jewish priests who <laughs> have a very specific part in, in the story of Jesus. And it's not really relevant to you. I don't think either of those things are true, but I think it's a strong warning against not taking lightly acts of the spirit mm-hmm. in our lives. 
Um, I think that it's a it's a strong warning against not attributing uh, the good work of God, uh, the creation of God, as evil, and I think it's a strong warning against um, against ignoring you know outpourings of the Spirit in the world, and uh, and yeah, I mean the, the passages that I that I made notes about, I can just read them really sure. quickly. Uh, they're short. Uh, the first one is. Uh, Psalm 86, 5. Is it 86, 5? Yes, 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you, all who call upon you. Hmm. Um, The next one is from Exodus. Uh, This is in a conversation that, let's see, Exodus 34, 7 conversation with Moses and God. Uh, Actually, I'll go six and seven. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Brings up another conversation, right. I think, for another time when we talk about generational sin. <laughs> but but the, the, uh, the key element to both of those passages is the nature of God is loving and forgiving. Um, so to me, it doesn't make sense that there could be some way that we can eternally damn ourselves through an action that if we understand and repent of, uh, we won't then, you know, be forgiven. Of. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. It's, I like the, I don't, I like the interpretation that like, this is, it's less, it's maybe, I guess the way you describe it, it's maybe it's hyperbole to an extent of not yeah. necessarily a, here's the permanent record one, but just a, be really, really careful here because, you can, <laughs> um, because, I liked your point about the specificity of it requires you to be seeing what is actually going on and still kind of rejecting it. That it's the, yeah. it's kind of the Hebrews passage, right? The, like someone who has someone who has tasted and seen and then walks away. Like what's the, what, what's the hope, right? Cause you've seen like you've, yeah. you've been part of like you get it and reject it and to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is a specific enough thing that you probably get it if you're going into that territory like in the Matthew passage he refers to them also casting out demons so he was talking to people who apparently did some of that so <laughs> yeah and and yeah that this is an instance of Jesus doing something objectively good mm-hmm. Jesus healing or casting out casting out demons that um, and this might speak to your editorializing point in in the mm-hmm. writers of the gospels but that anyone would see the good work that Jesus is doing here and go that's that's bad <laughs> uh, that he just cured that guy or that's bad that you know that demon got cast out actually that's the devil casting out the demon the whole thing feels kind of absurd which i think he speaks the clearest about in 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 Matthew but Mark i mean as satan has risen up against himself and is divided he cannot stand and is coming to an end, what would be the point, right? Right. Uh, why would evil do evil against evil? It just doesn't make any <laughs> sense. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the point I was just sort of trying to make was that 
if uh, you know in this in these cases it, it does feel like hyperbole might be the most the easiest way for me to understand it because the whole situation feels like maybe it's being cast in a certain light to make a point. I mean, people are accused of witchcraft and and, yeah. <laughs> and evil things for doing good. I suppose throughout the course of history, this has happened. But it feels like if this is something that the Pharisees would have been familiar with, that that the scribes and the Pharisees would have been familiar with at the time, uh, and casting out demons was something that they would have actively done, and someone does it successfully, that they wouldn't really just turn around and say that's evil. Um, maybe. They felt threatened, the power felt threatened or something, but that's kind of taking it in another direction. I'm not sure if that's even worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so kind of where I've been going with this and what has helped me understand um, to kind of so to get where I have gone with this to, I think, understand the way that I'm the way that I've been thinking about it lately, I think we have to change the the context <laughs> a little bit. Um, and so I want to, I want to read this real quick. Cause this is from Luke chapter four, 14 through 21. This is basically the verse of Jesus kicking off his ministry. Right. So this is him giving his mission statement for like the stuff he's here to do. <laughs> um, and he, he quotes cause he stands up in the synagogue and he quotes from Isaiah and is going to say, and is saying that this is, this is being fulfilled right now. So he reads the Isaiah quote, The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, And there's this image here, right? The tone here is when he proclaims the year of the Lord, right? He's inaugurating a new era. He's saying, all right, like things are changing now. The work of a new age starts now. And so in my reading of this, I am kind of really altogether. But for the for the purposes of of thinking about this passage, these passages need to kind of leave behind a little bit the idea that this is talking about sin and forgiveness in the sort of in that sort of penal substitution, binary, good ending, bad ending sort of way. And I think we need to think about it more about this kingdom of God, this year of the Lord that Jesus is um, inaugurating as like the goal here. Um, Because a lot of this passages like this, we talk about it and our gut is to talk about it in relation to the mission of forgiving everybody's sin so they can go to heaven. And I think Mm -hmm. if we think about it relating to the mission of bringing the kingdom of God to earth and inaugurating a better era than the Roman one they found themselves in, I think it'll make more sense. I also, then in that case, need to kind of recontextualize what forgiveness means in this context. Because when we think forgiveness, we think off your record, it's not going to keep you out of heaven now. And I think there is a slightly different definition being worked with here. Cause I think if we think of forgiveness as less of removing negative marks from your like morality score <laughs> and more <laughs> of forgiveness in the sort of interpersonal way of like, if like, if you have done something wrong to me, 
and I forgive you. I like I'm saying that like you no longer have work to do to fix this, right? Like we've closed we've closed this account. This this wrong has been righted and you no longer owe me anything in in response to this. You right? If you if you break my TV and you've bought me a new TV, I have forgiven you of the TV breaking incident. There is nothing left to, <laughs> there's nothing left to do to set wrong the harm that happened. And so if we think of forgiveness more in that way, I think it's I think this is going to help the context as well. And so I think the and, in, and if instead of the stakes being eternal, eternal heaven or eternal damnation, and instead think of the stakes as participating in the building and enjoying of this kingdom of God that's being inaugurated, not in the like I said, not in the good ending, bad ending way, but in the like here and now in the your ability to be part of this project of kingdom building. Um, I think so. That's a lot of context, but like these are terms that I'm shifting in my head that I think are, are helping me, helping me understand. And so I think that yeah. the reason this sin is unforgivable, this offense is unpardonable is that it creates kind of permanent damage to the project of inaugurating the kingdom of God. I recently read a book. I've read it a couple times. I read it once on my own and then I made my book club uh, church do it. Um, but I read <laughs> um, On Repentance and Repair by uh, Rabbi Danya Rutenberg. And she it's a book about the basically the Jewish model of the idea of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a fantastic book and it, like legitimately one of, I think the, one of the most important books I've ever read. It has changed the way I think about a lot of things. Um, but in the, but that's where like, she talks a lot about that concept of forgiveness being an acknowledgement that rights have been wronged and that we are like that, that, that this chapter of repair is closed. Um, and she cites an interesting um, piece of Jewish teaching that I thought was that I'd never heard of before. And I thought was really cool. I think is relevant to this. There's a chapter in this where she's talking about harm that's done publicly. Um, it's like when you like more than just, you know, a financial wrong and I pay you money and, that, and it fixes it. But just like public, public trauma, public slander, public like public wrongs. Um, I'm just going to read this paragraph uh, real quick. Um, mm. She says, uh, we have discussed the Mishnah's teaching that a person who creates interpersonal harm must appease their friend. The Jerusalem Talmud, a collection of rabbinic teachings from the land of Israel, finalized around the early 5th century, teaches that one who commits slander never gains forgiveness. This position is later codified in Jewish law to mean that the injured party by slander is never required to forgive the perpetrator. Why slander of all things? The standard explanation for this is that the damage is irrevocable. There is no way for a penitent to correct their lie to all people who have heard it. In other words, if the damage spreads far and wide, and if it is likely that the perpetrator will be unable to ensure that every witness to or recipient of the harm hears the correction, it requires different consideration than other mistakes. <laughs> and so I thought it was interesting. Like, this is this is. The, this this is a this is the Talmud. This is way this is hundreds of years later. So it's not like a book mm -hmm. that Jesus would have read, but it is. No, it, but it's a Jewish line of thought, and I just thought it was interesting to see, like a parallel text, talk about a sin that can't a, a sin that is unforgivable, um, and and so. But this is this lack of forgiveness is not in this sort of 
big stakes, all or nothing, eternal consequences way, right? It's saying that you're never really done fixing this. <laughs> you have like, yeah. this is a problem that you've created a problem that does not go away. And so you always have work to do about it. This account won't close. It doesn't mean I hate you forever. It doesn't mean we're not friends. It doesn't mean like, we you know, that we can never be in relationship and keep doing work together. But you've done something that is undoable <laughs> and and you are working to fix this forever. Um, and so I think this is more what this is about, that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, because in context, right, it is watching the Holy Spirit do something. It is watching the a supernatural fulfillment of the mission of God. <laughs> Cause like Jesus started his ministry saying, I'm here to set captives free. I'm here to give sight to the blind. I'm here to, uh, you know, liberate those oppressed. And he did this thing with the power of the Holy spirit and gave sight to the blind mm -hmm. and to say, and, and in front of the crowd, right? Everybody, like it was said, no, this is the devil. This is a bad thing happening, right? That is, if anyone believed that, it is undoable damage to the project that's going on. That and it, and while you believe it, it's hard for you to participate in this thing because the the mission itself and the power behind the mission itself is offensive to you. Like you're not you're not gonna be helping, <laughs> and you, like, the things you do from that place. Like it's it's like it, it sets off permanent dominoes and you're going to break yeah. you're, you, you've broken things. And I think the good example, when this clicked for me, I'm going to read another passage, but um, I'm going to summarize a bit. But it's from from the book of Acts after the early church project, right, has gotten started. Um, there is in Acts chapter uh, in Acts chapter 10. There is a passage where uh, the, the famous passage where Peter is shown a vision of the unclean food and hears the voice of God telling him to eat it. And when he refuses, God says, don't call things clean. Don't call things unclean that I've called clean. And then he gets a message messenger at the door that says this guy named Cornelius wants to talk to you. And Cornelius was a not only a Gentile, he was a Roman centurion. So this, you know, this oppressive backbreaking re regime they've been living under. This is one of the guys who violently enforces it <laughs> um, mm. and gets told, go to this guy's house. He wants to talk. He wants to talk. Um, and interestingly, the, the book of Acts says this at least was a centurion that had kind of a good reputation. Uh, he, it, it describes him as an upright man who was thought of highly by thought of highly by the Jews. So he was at least kind of not necessarily one of the ones that I mean, he, he was part of the system, but he was one with some. He had some upstanding. Um, but Peter goes and talks with him and he brings a bunch. He, he brings he, he brings a crew with him to go have this conversation and he spends this time talking to Cornelius, which is a big deal because they're not really supposed to go to Gentile homes anyway, and much less the actual centurions. Um, yeah. And so this is a big step. This is a, you know, the quite like in this big question of what is next for this Jesus movement. The question is, does it include these guys? Is it this big? Is something is the, does this new kingdom include people like this 
and when Pe- <laughs> and when Peter's there, and so I'll read from the end. Um, or let's see, let's see, where was my? I lost my highlight. Um, so Peter says, uh, he says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms. Uh, blah, blah. Oh, no, no. It was. Uh, it says, Peter said, truly, I perceive God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then he gives them a summary of the gospel and, and the history. But so he's giving this. So he starts preaching to Cornelius. He starts sharing with Cornelius the good news. And I think it's important that, like, right, he's explaining, here's what the new kingdom's going to look like to one of the enforcers of the old kingdom. And it says, while Peter was still saying this, this is starting in verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying this, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone forbid water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. And I love the the NIV translation of this um, is my favorite, because uh, that last part, they, they see the Holy Spirit fall, and they say, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. And I think... This is the important part, right? Because this big step of, okay, is this kingdom of God bigger than we thought? Does it include Mm -hmm. people that we kind of have been raised to fear and hate and even have good reason to fear and hate? Because this is one of the guys who kills us when we get too rowdy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so it's a big deal to like, like they're not wrong to Think of Rome as not them, because Rome has been trying to get rid of them for a very long time. And so, like, it's a big shift to start thinking of things differently. This project they're starting of the early church, right, where they live in community and there's no hierarchies and there's no money, there's no possessions. Like, this, this, all of the Roman hierarchy is completely flattened and everybody lives equal to one another and they care for each other and this new kingdom where the stuff you have and where you come from and who you are doesn't determine your dignity <laughs> and this mm. big like it, and so they were they've been doing that amongst themselves and this next big step of okay does it go outside us can other people get in on this project if they if they're serious about the project because it wasn't just everybody right it was this guy who was already known as kind of one of the good ones quote unquote who had been good to them <laughs> it's like so he wants to help can he help and it's important i think that there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't a doctrinal statement about this right peter didn't give the you know study bible like well you see uh they have been grafted onto the tree because this covenant is now widened because we now have a high priest after melchizedek like that, that wasn't there yet <laughs> there was none of that yeah. systematic theology justification of why this thing got bigger but what happened was the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius's house and everybody with them went, okay, I guess they're in. <laughs> right? They saw God working in them the same way that he worked. He, they saw God working in Cornelius's house the same way it worked in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And they said, I guess this is it. <laughs> and so that's why I yeah. think blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the unpardonable sin. Because if they had seen the Holy Spirit fall on the house of Cornelius and said, Peter must have been hearing from the devil, 
Like that's that's irreparable damage to this early church project. It probably does not get off the ground. <laughs> and so if you can see God working in people and in ways that are bigger than the way you thought it was supposed to, and that thing that should teach you, oh, God's bigger than I thought. If instead it teaches you, oh, I'm scared of this. This is a bad thing. I'm going to run away from it. It's really hard for you to get involved in the work of bringing the kingdom of God to earth. Like, right. And so that's a, mm. that's an incredible perspective on that. <laughs> Sorry, go, go ahead. Yeah. And so the, basically the, you know, that the testimony and the work of the Holy spirit is the, the seeing the divine in each other, seeing the dignity that God treats everybody with, right? Because the healing, the mute and the blind, it's part a display of power. It's part making things better for this guy, but that's, it's also part like a hierarchy erasing because <laughs> like, no, this guy now gets to exist with dignity and just seeing the image of God and the dignity of God in everybody. It's the Holy spirit that makes it possible to see that and uproot the hierarchies. Going back to the conversation we had at the beginning, right? There was a, cause yeah, it was a, it was the, that tweet you saw that I, that was just horrific that said, it said, you are, it, it said, it said, the church is about to see a massive uptick in trannies pretending to join the church. This is a dangerous move, and discerning leaders will not allow this because they will corrupt your flock. And I like, I think, I think you were right to look at that and be like, that is one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> because, yeah. like, right, there's a, like, it's like, and it's, it's bigger than this conversation, but in conversations like this, right? In conversations like LGBT inclusion, like are these people in, are we in, are we part of this project? Um, there's a, like, there's, there's tomes written about it, right? There's books, there's theology books, there's, you can get a systematic theology book that makes the case for it. You can make the systematic theology book that makes the case against it. And I've been on this journey for a while, but the reason that passage clicked with me, because one of the things that one of the things that cemented this for me so hard was it was last year around Easter in our patron discord here when we did the uh, we did the Stations of the Cross reading and Mm-hmm. It was I like I don't know how everyone else felt about it, but I remember doing that. And it's this it's it's online. It's still kind of like we're still in pandemic phases of things where like we're we're huddled in our homes by ourselves. And this discord voice channel with like I think we had four or five trans and queer people doing the stations of the cross. And it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. <laughs> and I thought <laughs> I thought. Man, the spirit's here. <laughs> and if yeah. you can see that, and this doesn't make you say, who can forbid these people the baptismal water? Like, I don't know what to do. I don't, like, I don't know what else to say. I can make <laughs> you read the Matthew Vines book, but I don't think it's going to work because the, I, the work is seeing God work in us is offensive to you. And like, where else can you, what else can you do? What's left when you can watch God working and find it offensive. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I mean, seriously. No, that's, I mean, that's exactly, so your your take on this is remarkably grounded, um, the, the way that you're interpreting this passage into not the eternal uh, heavenly realm, but into the creation of uh, heaven on earth, you know, yeah. the new the new heaven and new earth. Of, of God's kingdom here right now, 
is so practical and real and I, I love it. And I think it's, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird to accuse an interpretation of a passage like this, uh, uh to over spiritualizing because, right. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's, he literally says unpardonable sin, eternal sin. But a lot of reads on this passage are too focused on what will get you into heaven mm-hmm. and what will not get you into heaven. Um, there's this word that we've actually brought up um, we brought up, I think we've talked about it in our Bible study before, and it, it's the Greek word that's being used in Mark for eternal, and I think it's also used in Luke. But uh, this this phrase, guilty of an eternal sin, in verse 29, and the Greek word there is aionios, or aionios, and it it literally means eternal, but this is not eternal with the connotation of leading into eternal life or the spiritual realm or something beyond this earth. It simply means without beginning and without an end. It means something that will never cease and something that's everlasting. But there's no, in my opinion, in that right, in that writing, in that word, there's no implication that it means uh, that which carries on into you know, uh, your judgment at the pearly gates after you die or your right. judgment before God and the resurrection or something like that. Right. You know, and I think it, it feels a, a lot more to do with what you said, which is healing, which is, um, you know, repair, uh, you know, uh, person to person healing and repair versus the, the, um, the implications of our judgment before God. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like the LGBT inclusion is like one piece of it, but I see it, you know, you see it in a lot of ways about just conversations about how society should be organized. There was a, there was a, uh, there's a lady on TikTok who like showed a, she had a bunch of farmland and she was posting about how she handled it. And basically she used her farmland as big community garden to feed a bunch of people. Very cool project of just, I have a farm and I don't need to eat a farm's worth of food. I'm going to give it to people. And it was very cool. And it like, this is a, that is a, I don't know her religious beliefs at all, but that is a hierarchy flattening. That's hierarchy flattening kingdom of God stuff of just, if you're around me, nobody's hungry. And Mm. last week she woke up and someone tore up and salted her farmland. (laughs) And she doesn't know what to do because that land is not useful anymore. And I just like, to think of the depravity of someone who saw what she was doing and found it offensive enough to stop it. Like when you see that happening and you feel offended, you were blaspheming the Holy spirit. (laughs) You are opposed to the project of ending these stupid, violent, empirical hierarchies you're opposed to the dignity of every man you're opposed to seeing people the way god sees people and like there's not and and you've done damage that can't be undone and you have made it permanently harder for yourself to ever truly be a part of this thing (laughs) and and taking it out of that spiritual realm right it doesn't mean and now, therefore, you're damned forever. But it means even if you see the error of your ways and you start fixing it, right, you're going to be unfixing that for a really long time, right? If when I know, like, in as I've been reading, as I've been learning more just about the way the world works and why it sucks and how to make it work better, things like 
things like unpacking the anti-Semitism in the Gospels, things like unlearning the racism and the biases that make us okay with whole groups of people having worse outcomes than us, right? Like even when you're working to fix it, you're never done fixing it. The, the ways in which we have blasphemed the Holy Spirit when we make the world worse for groups of people and think they deserve it. Mm. It's unforgivable because we're never done facing it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought in my head when I read the tweet about, you know, trannies being some Trojan yeah. horse that are in, you know, in, in that are ruining churches from the inside. I thought a similar thing when I saw that video of someone who had salted the, yeah. the land of this, this woman who's feeding people who needed food. Basically, I thought, well, I don't really believe in a hell of eternal, eternal conscious torment, but if there is one, <laughs> those are the people that are going to go. And yeah. maybe if we just back off that hatred and back off that anger a little bit, maybe the eternal conscious torment that they're going to suffer is the work of trying to repair the evil that they've spoken into and done in the world forever. It's not being prodded by a pitchfork and burned, right. al you know, burned alive, but rather... Um, knowing, learning what you've done wrong, knowing that um, there there needs to be work done to repair it, and and that work could take forever. Yeah. You know, you may be working for the rest of for the rest of eternity to to mm -hmm. to repair that, you know, to repair that tear. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of these sort of institutional wrongs, right? Even if we're all on board and we're all sorry about them, like that. It, it echoes forever, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, in, in the future where the majority, if not all of us have shed racial biases where the majority of not all of churches affirm the dignity of all people, including queer people like that history is going to be written on us forever. Yeah. Even not not in a way that, you know, now you can now you're never a good person, right? Now you're never getting into heaven. Now you can never be held in decently high esteem. But like we've it's we can't unwrite we can't unwrite this past. And there is we will forever have to live with the echoes of the inequality that we have made. And mm. and just, you know, and just personally as I do on this journey of coming out as transgender and trying to be involved in the church again. And I see, you know, like when it's with like family members or people back home, people I had such huge ties with and just like watching, watching the hardness of heart that comes from this. Like I watched when I came out, of course, a bunch of people like unfriended me on Facebook because there's the, that, that happens. And then when I posted the first time a picture of me in church and talked about like the thing I was doing in church, I lost more friends that time <laughs> because there is uh. this, you know, like, there, like there is a hatred so deep. There is a, a watching of the spirit of God working in someone you don't think it should work through and finding it offensive. And it's just so heartbreaking that it's stronger than family ties <laughs> it's stronger than the mission statement of your church it's stronger than so much and maybe they'll come around but god there's hurt that's not gonna go away <laughs> yeah yeah and and i guess to universalize the yeah. thought a little bit maybe there is maybe there is an unpardonable sin or an eternal sin i'll use the word eternal because i think that's mm -hmm. more of what we're talking about here um 
maybe there's an eternal sin that we've all committed in some way or another. (laughs) And in that way, our calling is to to continue to work to repair that, to know it, to to repent of it, to and then try to fix it in whatever way that we can. You know, what what sins have we committed against people that we haven't done the work to repair? What sin have we committed that we haven't fully changed our minds about that we haven't fully decided to to change our ways yeah. about i i think that it's 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 really more of a i think more of a universal thing than than it is you know it's probably more common than it is rare you know yeah yeah and like personally and then in like in the like in the project of christianity and in the project of you know just being groups of people on earth in that book, the repentance and repair book, it talks about what does national repentance look like? (laughs) And it talks Mm. about like all of the Holocaust memorials that are all over Germany. Like you can't walk without seeing some sort of plaque, some sort of museum, you know, like, like the reminders are everywhere. And the effect of this, right. Is for the rest of time. If someone ever tries to say like, we are the greatest nation and the greatest people of all time, it's pretty quick to look around. You go like, Oh, Right. (laughs) <laughs> there's <laughs> never mind right like we're still fixed like there's like there's there like i think i saw a stat right there's still not there's still fewer jews alive right now than there were before the holocaust and that's just like the history changed forever and this is a sin you can't undo and like a thing to keep learning from and it ties into the other conversation right like there was a lot of the gospel of matthew in justifying <laughs> in justifying a lot of the things done and through all of Christian history, it's, you know, like, I'd like, maybe I'd like, we kind of just probably never have to stop having that conversation about like some of the parts of this to be like, by the way, this thing, this, this editorializing, this interpretation has killed a lot of people and caused a lot of uh, really horrendous injustice in the world, but just that kind of that's, and just, uh, yeah, and just like you said, understanding that maybe like that we're all part of that we're all part of that, right? If the, if the sin's eternal without beginning and without end, we're all affected by a lot of eternal sins and have to just keep doing this work. <laughs> that's a that's an excellent takeaway. I think that's yeah. that's a, a good a good place to at least pause this conversation, but um, really to look within ourselves and to understand um, not just to feel the rage the burning anger towards the things that that people speak out against us and and the evil that people speak um you know towards us about things that we feel like are good and true outpourings of the holy spirit you know to mm. glorifying god but rather to uh to accept that there will be sins that we have all committed that we will have work to do on and as societies as individuals as families as cultures um in in so many ways maybe the work of building the kingdom is the work of putting the pieces all back together yeah (laughs) and uh and you know um, what a beautiful what a beautiful task that is i can't (laughs) think of a better job to have really it puts a solemn and sacred context to the work that we're doing and should I don't know like I think I feel like this posture makes this verse less scary but a lot more humbling <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, Samantha thank you so much yeah for thanks for having me, me. I, I'm so glad <laughs> we got to have this this conversation this has been burning in my soul for quite a while now and I'm glad to get to kind of 
put it out there. <laughs> ah, just absolutely. Um, it's some beautiful truths, and I think something that I'm going to take with me, and uh, it'll it'll hang with me for a while. Uh, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> This is going to be a free episode, so I should do the podcaster thing of reminding everybody that we have a Patreon page where you can support the production and continuation of this podcast. Most of the content that's being created for this podcast is actually being released on the Patreon feed now. I only do about one free episode a month now. So if you're interested in supporting the pod, you can do it for as little as you want, but at $5 a month, you get all of the extra um, content, audio content, and you also get access to our Discord, which is awesome. Our community there is amazing. And, um, you know, we do weekly events like a prayer group and a Bible study, and we've been talking about starting some other things. So come and join us. I think it's a wonderful uh, group of people that we have, and uh, and I think... Uh, you know, all are obviously welcome, and and we're, we'd be happy to have you. So, uh, did you have any plugs that you wanted to throw out there for folks? Um, most of my stuff you can find me. Uh, you can find me online at Skip Sandwich or Skip Sandwich DX, which is a video game reference. Um, but uh, I'm Skip Sandwich on Twitter. I'm Skip Sandwich DX everywhere else. Um, most of the stuff I do, I post about on my website, which is skipsandwichdx.com. And also now I have the website for my name, Samantha Lee, L-E-I-G-H. So Samantha Lee Perez.com. So I have something slightly more professional looking to give to people that I don't want to give a goofy video game name to. Um, but I do a lot of my, I, all the stuff I do, um, is there. Um, so if you're in the DC area, uh, talk to me about activism, and if you're going to be at the Virginia Annual Conference, I'll see you there. Uh, the reading that I wanted to close with uh, for this episode is from the book Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, who I've, um, I know, been obsessed with, but um, I'm just going to keep on reading from his work because I think it, it, uh, it says some pretty powerful things and things that will really make you think. Anyway, this is from a chapter— Uh, called Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is his work, not only to breathe, but also to always foster and strengthen, and so perfect the new life within. And in proportion as the believer yields himself in simple trust to the unseen, but most certain law of the spirit of life working within him, his faith will pass into knowledge. It will be rewarded by the Spirit's light, revealing in the Word what has already been accomplished by the Spirit's power in the life. Thanks, everybody. Blessed are the poor who have nothing
See. 